Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how, as Christians, we are like a tree and how we can make our lives fruitful for God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we thank you so much for your word. What would we ever do here on earth without your word? Your word, Lord, to our feet. We need your word to be a lamp. Lord, for the direction in our lives, we need your word to be the light to our path. Thank you so much for your word. This morning, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you teach us your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, follow along here as I read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took of them, they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children of the same. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth. And behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, we come now to this portion here in Genesis, which we've already seen before, but we're looking at it again from a different angle. And the angle that we're looking at it is the angle that God wants us to look at it from, and that is, what was the reason for the flood? That's what God's purpose is. He wants us to know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, why he destroyed the earth with water. And so, we are standing now, as we read this part, on the brink of this great universal destruction of man on the earth, the universal flood, the judgment of the world, the great flood that destroyed 
every man on earth, except for those small number, just those eight that were saved. We saw last week how that when we walk on the earth, when we walk on the face of the earth, we are walking on billions of fossils. And these billions of fossils, we can imagine that they're speaking to us in unison. We can hear them as they're speaking and they're saying to us, I want you never to forget that God judged this earth. I want you always to remember that though God is a God of love, and he is, and though there's plenteous mercy and grace with God, and there is mercy and grace to be found with God, nevertheless, God is a God of judgment, and there is a limit to his mercy. There is a limit, and that limit was reached when he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And what happened? The great flood. And what are the fossils saying to us? They're telling us God is a God of judgment, not to be pushed, not to call the bluff of God, because he judged and he sent the whole world into a watery grave. God wants everybody to know not only that there was a flood judgment, but as we said last week, that amongst all those billions of fossils, conspicuous by its absence is a fossil of man. No one's ever found a fossil of man. And that's important because there we're getting at not just that there was a flood, but now what's the reason for the flood? Why did the flood come? There's no fossil of man. And God said in this passage, I will destroy man from off the face of the earth. And sure enough, we do not find a fossil of man on the face of the earth. So we need to understand the reason for the flood judgment. And God started this by giving us a very, very important insight, which we covered. And that was Genesis 6, 3, when the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, from those words, we come to understand that within the believer, within the Christian, within the person who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, within you, within every Christian, within me, there are two forces at work. One God calls my spirit. Who is this? My spirit. This is the spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit. Paul calls him, and sometimes from his names we get wonderful insights as to who he is. And in Romans 8, 2, here's what Paul said. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's called the spirit of life. He's the spirit of life. My spirit, the spirit of life. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful name for God. He's the spirit of life. You remember back when we studied earlier that after God had yatsard, he'd formed man out of the dust of the earth, that it says he breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. So God is the spirit, not of death. He's the spirit of life. When we come to the God, we come to him for a life. When he sends to him himself the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of life. God is about life. It's so wonderful that he has this title, the spirit of life. Paul also called him in 2 Corinthians 3, 3 with these words, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, written by us, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with, and here's the title, the spirit of the living God. He said that the believers were written 
by the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. A wonderful title for the Holy Spirit. Also, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God. Any believer, any Christian, any child of God has within him the Spirit of God dwelling in him. How do we know? Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell or live in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's not of his. So here's the big question on the table. Here's the question. The question is this. What does the Spirit of God do inside of us? When he lives within us, what does he do inside of us? The Bible answers that question with a very interesting word to describe what the Spirit of God does, what the Spirit of life does, what the Spirit of the living God does inside of us. And he answers that, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And it reads like this, but the fruit, there's the word, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. What does the Spirit of the living God do inside of the believers, inside of us? He yields fruit. He yields fruit. That means that the Spirit of life or the Holy Spirit in us He's like a tree. He's like a vine. And as a tree and as a vine, he's yielding fruit inside of us. Fruit that doesn't come from us, fruit that comes from him. And what is the fruit that he's yielding inside of us? It's the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of long-suffering, the fruit of gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. But let's say that when we take a real good look in the mirror of our lives and we're really honest with ourselves and we, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, honestly speaking, the way I just treated my spouse, I just don't see it a life of love. You would take a look in the mirror and we say, you know, the way I'm so anxious, I'm so uptight, I feel like I just could just melt into a pool here. I just don't see a life of joy and peace. I was just on the freeway. Oh, that slow driver. The way I just cut off that slow driver on the freeway, I don't see a life of patience in me. Or the way I just just let myself get so easily provoked, I just flew off the handle. I said words I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. I never should have said that. I never should have done that. And when I take a look back on myself and I just say to myself, I just don't see a life of gentleness and goodness, meekness, self-control. That last bit of bad news that I heard when my heart just sunk and I just said, oh no, what am I going to do now? I just don't see in me a life of confident faith in God that he's going to make it all come out for good. So here's the question. When we don't see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't see love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Does that mean that we don't have the Holy Spirit in us? Does that mean that we're not believers? 
Well, to answer this question, let me do it with an example. And we have an orange tree. If you come to our house, I'll show you a special orange tree in our backyard. And this orange tree in our backyard has been there ever since we moved into our house 25 years ago. I remember we never had an orange tree before, and and this orange tree just gave us wonderful oranges. And I thought, oh, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. I really enjoyed those oranges. But being the farmer that I am from West Los Angeles, where I actually thought that tomatoes grew on trees, I just figured that the tree was just going to yield those great oranges every year. So what did I do to make sure it happened? Absolutely nothing. I didn't do anything for the tree except to just sit there and wait for those great oranges to come. Now, I didn't know anything about growing oranges other than just you had to go to the tree and pick the oranges. I never did anything I didn't know. I never worked the ground. I never watered. I never fertilized it. I never fed it with minerals. What did I know? And so what happened? The tree stopped yielding the oranges. I feel cheated. I've been cheated by the tree. What happened? Why did it stop yielding the oranges? And what I was ready to do? I was ready to take the tree out. I was ready to pull that tree out and replace it. But my wise gardening wife comes along, and she really did know about gardening and farming and all these things, and everybody knows about this because she's from Ohio. Everybody in Ohio has a garden, so I know how to find a good wife that fills in the big holes in my life. And so that was her. So she comes along. And so when I was complaining about the tree to her, and I was saying, you know, we need to replace the tree. She told me, there's nothing wrong with the tree. And I said, what do you mean there's nothing wrong with the tree? Look at it. It stopped giving you oranges. And she said, well, look at the ground underneath it. Look at the ground that the tree is planted in. I said, yeah, what? And she says, look, the ground's dry. Why? It's not watered. You didn't do anything to water the tree. She said, look at it. She said, look at all the weeds in the ground growing underneath the tree. You didn't take the weeds out. It's not been fed with minerals. What do you think is happening? No water. The weeds are stealing what little nutrients it have. You're not feeding it. That's why you didn't get the oranges. Well, I wasn't sure she was right. What did I know? But, you know, she came from Ohio. I come from West Los Angeles. So what could I say? All right. So I said, okay, we'll give your way a try. So I go out there. We work and make sure that the tree all around has got good ground to grow in. So we go and, and, oh, I made a basin around. Oh, such a basin. I made around the tree. You could have taken a bath in that basin. It was a nice basin. I made sure that once a week, I did what she said, the deep root watering, not just watering, but the deep root watering, fill up the basin. And then I go out on a weed patrol and we get those weeds up right down to the roots. And so we got all that under control. And then you go there and fertilize the, to the ground and mineralize the ground, put the mineralize on and did all these things. So I just had to wait. And, and I remember getting anxious about it and going out there to the tree and wondering, was she right? Did she really know what she was talking about? Is this unfruitful tree that was fruitful, is it really going to come back 
and be fruitful again. And it took patience. It took a lot of patience. It took a whole season of waiting. I couldn't believe it. it took so much patience. I'm not good at patience. I'm kind of like the, the doctor who's going out of business. He's losing his patience. And I was losing my patience. Well, after a while, sure enough, that same tree that had stopped yielding fruit returned and it started to bring fruit again. And the oranges came. And I learned a lesson from that. And I knew every year I know that I am in the as long as routine. What does it mean as long as routine? It means that as long as I do my job taking care of the soil of the tree, that then the tree will do its job of making those great oranges. That was amazing to me. That was amazing to me. I mean, and whenever I thought about that tree, I think of how I wanted to yank the tree out. I mean, I go out there and I think to myself, you know, I wanted to pull this good tree out of the ground and replace it with a little tree. Why? This is my ignorance. That was my problem. Because I didn't realize the problem was with me. The problem was not with the tree. Now, when I go out there and I think about those things and I come to the tree and I practically apologize to the tree and and say, you know, I'm really sorry because it was never a problem with the tree. And if you come on over to my house, I'll show you the tree. Dad, I know that tree well in your yard. I mowed the grass under that tree every Saturday and played under it. Now I know why there were never any oranges for me to eat. So... If we are like a tree, how do we make our lives fruitful for God? Well, maybe the best explanation for or the best answer for that question of how do we make our lives fruitful for God is found in the parable of the sower and the seed, which is in Luke chapter 8, verses 5 through 15. It's a very interesting parable because when the disciples first heard it, they had no idea what he was talking about when he said these words. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon on a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears, let him hear. Now, just before I go on, just want to say here that he told this obviously with so much passion that when he was finished, he so much wanted everybody to hear it that he cried that he that hath ears, let him hear. Now I'll continue, verse 9. And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parable, that seeing that they might not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an 
honest and a good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. There's the answer right there. What are we talking about? We're talking about the question of if we're like a tree, how do we make our lives fruitful for God? He said, this is the way. We hear the word, we keep it, and we bring forth fruit with patience. In other words, it's all about how the Word of God is received. Then these four cases, which really cover everybody who lives, we have four responses to the Word of God. The first one is the hard ground, the hard ground where the person hears it and the right away writes it off, says, ah, religion, good for you, makes you happy, ah, And that's called the ground that's hard because when a person makes himself hard against the Word of God that way, it's a perfect setup for the devil to come, which it says he does, and takes away the Word out of their hearts. So if you come to that person the next day and say, did you hear that the Bible said this? Nah, I'm not interested. I I can't remember. See why? It was taken out of his heart. Why does the devil take take the Word out of his heart? Because lest they should believe and be saved. So the way to be saved is to believe the Word of God, but not just simple belief, but an embracing relief, a, a belief, a keeping belief. Then he describes the next one. He says, well, in the next category, we have people who also, when they hear, receive the Word with joy. They think, oh, that's tremendous. That's wonderful. That's just wonderful. See, they, when they hear, they receive the Word with joy, but they have no root. In other words, there's no depth. In other words, it doesn't sink deep into their hearts. In other words, they don't consider what is it saying? What does it mean? How does my life uh, shape up under the searchlight of the Word? See, all all that is to go deep. So this is, they have no root. In other words, they don't let the word go deep. And so it says, which for a while believe, oh yeah, they're in church, they're singing the songs, everybody's wonderful, they're just, I'm a Christian, Everybody, and they've got the lingo down, and they, they, they listen to the Christian music in the car, and it's just, you know, but it's only for a while. Why? Because it says in time of temptation, when the heat comes on, when a person turns to him and says, you mean you're a belie- you believe that? You're, you're one of those? You go to a church? See, the temptation comes. Or, come on, let's go. Let's have some fun. Let's uh, stop with the sin stuff and, uh, you know, have a drink and, 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 and let's go and do what, uh, what everybody else does. See, that's temptation. So when the temptation comes, what happens? They fall away. They fall away. And then it says, and that which fell among thorns are people, are they, that's what we're talking about here, that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. In other words, this is a person who he believes and it's even gone somewhat deep, but... When a choice comes, will I trust God or no? Will I say, that's my responsibility. I will embrace all these cares. I will immerse myself in the tyranny of the urgent, 
of the cares, and they say, I'm not going to trust God. I'll take the cares. I'll do it myself. I want to do it myself. I'll take credit for it when it's done. See, then they take the cares of this world. Or riches. In other words, they say, well, yeah, I love God, but you know, I want that house in the Caribbean. I want that new car. I want all those things that money can buy. I love riches. I must have riches. And what happens when cares and riches like this take over? They choke. They choke the word. And then it says, or the pleasures of this life. I love what I love. I love sensual pleasures. And so whenever this occurs, in other words, riches and pleasures are not sacrificed and cares are embraced, then what happens is that there's no fruit. It's the tragedy of no fruit. But He goes on to say, there is, thank God, the third case. What is it? It's called the good ground Christian. On the good ground are they. These are people. And they're described as an honest heart, as a good heart. And it says, having heard the word, they keep it and they bring forth fruit with patience. What's the key to this? Two words, honest and good. Honest and good. What does honest and good mean? An honest and good heart mean when it comes to the Bible. It means that we take the Bible and we say, oh God, this is not just the word of men. This is the word of God. And I'm going to treat it like the word of God. I'm going to let this word have authority over my life as if God himself is speaking. I'm going to keep this as a precious treasure as though God himself gave it to me. And I'm going to let this word make Make fruit in my life. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. We've added some new features on our website where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come right to your phone or to your email. So sign up today at friendshipwithgod.org for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. Now, you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for our Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God newsletter. Now, there you'll hear about our upcoming Summer Blitz campaign to reach over one million lost Jewish people this summer in Jewish cities around the United States of America. So again, go to friendshipwithgod.org and learn more about Tom Cantor, receive a daily devotional verse, and sign up for our newsletter. You can also call us at one 800 247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051.